Uh, today we're going to continue in a series called Life's Key Questions. Uh, and last week we talked about the question, who am I? Uh, we'll be talking today about why am I here? And next week we'll be finishing up this series with the question, where am I going? But this week I want us to tackle that second big question. And this might be the biggest one of the series uh, uh, that intersecting with your everyday life because this is the one we ask every day. Why am I here? What is my purpose on life? It, in life, is, is there meaning uh, of this life? A few years ago uh, on a TV show called Everybody Loves Raymond, uh, I'm glad you do, uh, there was an episode dedicated uh, to this question, what, what, what's life all about? And in the scene that I'm going to show you, Ray thinks that, that his daughter Allie wants to talk about the birds and the bees. And so he's prepared to talk to her about this sensitive topic, but she has something far more important on her mind. Listen, um, the other day you, you asked questions about babies and stuff. When you started sneezing? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, anyway, I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that now. Okay. Good, good. Okay. Let me try to explain a few things. All right. Okay. Here's what happens. When a man and a woman love each other very much, they get married. And then sometimes they decide to make a baby. Why are there babies? Right, right. Okay, I'm going to get to that. Okay. What a man and a woman do is... No, I mean, I know that the man and the woman have to do something, but why are we born? Why has God put us here? Because that's what? If we all go to heaven when we die, then why does God want us here first? Um, why does God want us here? Yeah, why? <laughs> why are we here, Daddy? Yeah, I heard you. I heard you. <laughs> you don't want to talk about sex? You ever, you ever hear the word fallopian? Okay, all right. Okay, you really want to know why God wants us here first? That's a good question. You see, God is up in heaven, and, well, honey, it's very crowded up there.
Y yeah, yeah. And, and you don't want to be in heaven if it's crowded, right? I mean, remember when we went to Disney World, how crowded that was? Huh? I mean, it was fun, but it was too crowded, right? So God, he sends us down to earth for a little while to ease the heavenly congestion. So why does God want us here? Why, why are we alive? Why, why are we here? Guys, this is hardwired in, in humanity's makeup to ask this question. It, it, it's who we are. It doesn't matter if you're young or you're old. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. The search for meaning, it, it's a part of, of all of our makeup. And this is not a new pursuit. The whole book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible is a man exploring this question and, and he approaches it from every possible angle. And those angles are still being used today to try to figure out what is life all about. Some people take a very mystical approach. Look within yourself and, and you'll find the answer. One time Oprah was doing a show on discovering your purpose in life and, and some members of my church were talking about it and I thought, you know, I... I ought to know what she said, so I temporarily gave up my man card, and I watched Oprah and, and that episode, and, and every break, she kept saying, now, now just come back, and when, we get, when you get back, I'll give you the answer of what life is all about. This went on for the entire hour, and so every time I kept coming back, and did she tell me? No! She didn't even attempt to, and as the credits rolled at the end of the show, she said, Remember, you have to figure it out for yourself. I was frustrated. I just wasted a whole hour watching makeup commercials. I was really aggravated. Some people, they, they move from a mystical approach of, well, it'll just come to you, to a more philosophical approach. Some people are survivalists. They, for these folks, people... Uh, uh, are, are destined to just try to stay alive. Live as long as you can live, and if you do this, then you've done what you're here for. They try to get to the weekend. They really don't know the value of life, but they think life is all about just hanging on as long as you can. Some people are hedonists. They, life is about having one more experience. You know, you only get to go around the merry-go one time. So, so you better live it up and have as many experiences as you can. Their buzzword is indulge, and, and they live by the motto, eat, drink, and be merry. Other people are materialist. Life for them is about the acquisition of things. And, and your, your value in life is measured by what you own. The problem is, guys, the one who dies with the most toys still dies. It may help you to be a success in your field, but being a success in your field and having a meaningful life is not the same thing. Many people climb to the top of the ladder in their field only to realize that it was leaned against the wrong wall. The pursuit of meaning can be an elusive one. That's the case in this episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. Robert, Robert is considering the meaning of life, and let's see how he deals with it. 
You know, the fruit fly only lives one day. <laughs> huh? Well, what, you okay there? What, one day. What's his meaning of life, huh? Maybe there's no meaning of life for any one of us. I mean, really. Am I any different than the fruit fly? <laughs> the fruit part's the same. doesn't question why he's here that's what makes us different and i don't know maybe that's kind of the meaning of life never knowing the answer but always wondering about it so so god made it smart enough to know that there's an answer but not smart enough to figure it out come on That's where a lot of people get. They know that we should have meaning in this life. They know that there should be an answer, but they just can't figure it out. The prophet Jeremiah asked this same question. In Jeremiah 20, verse 18, the prophet said, Why did I come out of the womb? Did I come out to see only struggle and sorrow? To to end my life in shame? Surely there's got to be more than this. You've probably felt that way. What is life all about? Why are we here? Just to have problems? Just to get old and die? Just to experience heartache, grief, stress? The author Ashley Brilliant said, My life has a superb cast. I just can't figure out the plot. Jack Hanley wrote, I hope life isn't a joke because I sure don't get it. Dr. Hugh Moorefield, the chair of philosophy at Northeastern University, wrote to 250 well-known philosophers, scientists, and writers. And he says, he asked them, what is the purpose of life? They, they responded to him, and he published a book with their responses. And honestly, when you read it, it's kind of discouraging and depressing. Some offer guesses, but they would say this is just purely a guess. Others made up a purpose that seemed to be completely nonsensical. But most people said they didn't have any idea. And several included at the end of their uh, uh, submission, they said, if you figure it out, please tell me. People want to know. Let me show you the last clip of Everybody Loves Raymond. They're trying to figure it out. Can we please stop? Look, it turns out Allie doesn't want to know how we get here. She wants to know why we're here, why God put us on earth. And she's waiting for Ray to answer her. What's wrong with you? It's simple. Oh, okay, yeah. We're going to learn the meaning of life from a guy who once threw his shoe at a swan. (laughs) That's called protecting your sandwich. (laughs) Listen to me. Here's what life is. You're born, you go to school, you go to work, you die. That's it. That's all. Cannoli Marie. Listen, we're not talking about what we do while we're here, Dad. Yeah, yeah, the big question is why we're here in the first place. You know, I've spent many a night lying in bed thinking about this kind of stuff. Life's imponderables. Oh, I know. It's all in the Bible. You ever think about space? What is it? Is it really endless? I mean, if you had a spaceship, could you go flying and flying through space forever? Why don't you give it a shot? No, I'm not kidding around here. I mean, how could space go on forever? And if it doesn't, then what's at the end, huh? Stop it, Robbie. You'll give yourself a tummy ache. 
What about the beginning of time? What was it before that? Before time? Nothing? I mean, what is nothing? How could there be nothing? This doesn't bother anybody else? Okay, everybody, listen to me. Listen. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, okay, okay. Let there be light. It might take me a minute more. A minute more, Marie. Religious scholars spend their entire lives trying to answer this question. You're not just going to flip through the Bible and find the meaning of life. Oh, ye of little faith. That's in here somewhere, too. Marie does two things right in that, in that uh, uh, scene. The first thing she does is she looks to the Bible. Christians believe that we should look to the Bible uh, to find our answers. And the second thing she does right is she starts with Genesis 1. As we're answering the deep things of life, that's where we've got to start. In the beginning, God. Guys, we are created beings. If those words were not there, we wouldn't be discussing the meaning of life. It all starts with God, it all continues with God, and it all ends with God. That's why as as Christians, we believe that our meaning is not determined by our pursuit or our questioning. Our meaning is determined by the Creator. That's that's our meaning. You know, that, that is why we are are here. We live in a world that believes that we can self-determine from gender, like we talked about last week, to sexuality, from significance to purpose. Guys, the created does not determine its purpose, only the creator does. And our good Father who has created us has done so for a reason. God has a purpose for everything that He has created. The Lord has prepared everything for His His purpose. Every rock, every planet, every animal, everything. And ultimately the purpose of everything has the same end. Everything that has been made has been made to give Him glory. And this is the overarching purpose of man. We're to give Him glory and, and, and enjoy Him forever. And this is what the church has always believed. Confession after confession has said the same thing. That we are here to give Him glory and to enjoy His presence. That's why God has created us. And the church has proclaimed this because the Scripture teaches this. In Isaiah 43 it says, Everyone who is called by my name was created for my glory. He formed us and made us for His glory. A verse we looked at a couple of weeks ago says, whether you eat or drink, if, if, if you are God's created with His image invested in you, whatever you do, eating, drinking, vacationing, working, getting educated, uh, raising a family, everything you should do, you should do for the glory of God. That's who we are. That's why we are. And God wants us to live in such a way that people will say, man, I don't know who they are, but whoever made them must be a great God. That's what God wants from our life. And as you turn through the pages of Genesis, you see very early on specific ways that we can bring glory to God. 
And so let's look at some of those from the early text of our faith. One of the first ways that we see that, that, that we can, can bring glory to God is, is having a personal relationship with Him. This was the purpose of God creating man in His image. To create a being that He could walk with in the garden, who He could bless, who He could talk to. We're created to know God. And guys, God wants you to pray. He wants you to talk to Him. He, he created you to enjoy a sunset with Him, to, to enjoy a cup of coffee in the morning with Him. He wants you to think about Him when you get up, to, 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 to ponder His greatness when you lie down at night, to talk about Him and His ways with your children and with your friends. He created you to be in relationship with Him, and He gets glory when you spend time with Him. Takeaway question, does He get any glory from you? Because you spend time with Him. Purpose number two. We, we see it early on in Genesis that God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We talked about this last week that God told man to, to fill the earth. Now, I don't think God is telling you to, you know, have a soccer team. You know, but if you choose to, praise the Lord. But he does tell us that, that we should have children, not just for the sake of having children, but to have children who will honor and love God. The Bible says that parents should teach their kids continuously about the Lord. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and you read the Shema, where they're saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And it talks about how there's none who compare to Him, and you should love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. It immediately follows that with you should teach your children. When you're walking down the road, when you're going out of your house, when you're sitting down for a meal, you should teach and train your children. In the New Testament, we're taught the same thing. It says, fathers, don't stir up your, your children to wrath. Don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. I want to ask you some very pointed questions right now, and I'd like for you parents to be honest with yourselves. Do your children glorify God because of the way that you raise them? Do your children believe in prayer because they think you believe in prayer? Will your children understand God if they read the Bible at the same level you read your Bible? What if your children are as faithful to God as you are to the church? Are you teaching your children to honor and glorify God? That's why you're here. That's your purpose in living. A third purpose in living is to enjoy and care for the world that, that God has, has given us. In Genesis chapter 1, again, he continues on, and he says, not only should you fill and multiply the earth, but you should rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, every creature that crawls on the earth, God says, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This is food for you. This is good. Enjoy it. We spent time here last week, but I do believe that God is glorified when we enjoy what he's given. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, 
We're told the purpose of the animal was to provide some companionship with man. That's the reason that that the woman was created. So that man could enjoy the creation the way that God wanted him to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy his creation. And that's why I want to be grateful. I don't want anybody to accuse me of living in this world that God has made for me and waking up and being a grouch because I'm not satisfied with what God has given. God wants us to be grateful. God wants us to be content. God wants people to look at his children and, 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 and those people see us and they think they are satisfied. And they ask us why and we say, because I've got a God who's faithful and a God who's good and a God who supplies all my needs. Verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God took the man and he placed him in the garden to, to work the garden and to watch over it. Uh, here, here it's clear what we're to do. We're to work diligently. This is one of our purposes in life. You know, our society is really messed up when it comes to this. We work hard to not have to work. Right? There are some people who work incredibly hard to not have to work. And we often see work as a necessary evil, but this is a part of our design. God made us for work. Work gives us purpose. Even in the Ten Commandments, you remember the Ten Commandments? In the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment is what? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So that tells us God has commanded us to rest. But we failed to read the entire commandment. What does the commandment say? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. This is how we are wired. This is how we are made. I remember when I was young working on a farm. Things have changed so much. I think it's a great thing to learn a good work ethic, uh, I, we would throw square bales. And how many of y'all know what I mean when I say square bales? Okay, all right, on a farm, you raise the, the hay. The hay is put away so that you can feed uh, your, your livestock. Well, now they put it in big round bales and you take it off with tractors and all of that stuff. But when I was younger, they would make it in square bales and they would throw it up on wagons. They probably weighed somewhere between, uh, you know, 20 and 50 pounds, depending on how much moisture was in the air. And uh, you would take those and you would throw them up on the wagons and somebody would stack them and then you would go put them away. Man, I hated it. I hated every second of it. It was awful. I couldn't wait to get done. But boy, when the end of the day came, and I was so tired I could barely lift my fork, which I was able to overcome. But I was so tired that I, you know, I I was hurting. But at the end of the day, and when I lay down at night, I could hear myself thinking, oh, thank you, Lord, for a good day. I felt like I'd accomplished something. When we work as men or women and we work on a project together where we're building something or where we're tending a garden or where we're weeding a flower bed, when we do these things and we get to the end of it, there's such a sense of satisfaction. Why is that? Because God has made us to work. It gives us a sense of accomplishment. It gives us a sense of, 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 of joy. 
some of the most joyful days I've ever had as a believer is when our church went out together into a community and we built a Habitat home. And we had so much fun. It was, it was filled with joy. And we were working hard. Now, does this mean that all work inherently glorifies God? No, of course not. There's some evil work. But work is a good thing. Now, there are workaholics in this room where you take this to an extreme and you neglect your families or you neglect your health or you neglect your church. Your problem is not your work ethic. Your problem is you're neglecting your priorities. We are to work diligently. Now, another part of Genesis's expectation is that humanity would worship God. Verse 5 of chapter 3, when the serpent comes into the scene and he's tempting Eve there in the garden, he says, God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. From the beginning, God has demanded that he alone be revered. He alone be worshipped. That he be distinct from his creation. He is the only creator, the only sovereign, the only one worthy to be worshipped. And Jesus reminds us of this purpose for humanity when, when he's asked about the greatest commandment. Do you remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart with your soul, with your strength, with your mind. I think this means we're just to worship God. We're to love God and we're to worship Him alone as God. Now, worship is a slippery word because we turn it into a lot of different things. Sometimes it can be a style of music, you know, or or sometimes it can be, uh, you know, something that, that, that we... we we worship a, a, an athlete or something of this nature. I, when I'm using the word our worship to describe our purpose as human beings, I'm meaning two things. That we are to focus our attention on God. Worship is focusing your attention. And we do this corporately. This is why we call this worship service. Because together, we're putting our attention on God. That He is the one who saves. That He's the one who never fails. That Jesus and His love for us is is what is worthy of our praise. We focus our attention. And, And we should do this individually. That's why we encourage you to establish a daily time with God. Where you just take some time and say, Oh, thank you God that you are so great. But another part of worship is using what you have been given for His glory. So whatever God has blessed you with, a talent, your intellect, your craftsmanship, your strength, you worship Him by using it. Now I want to mention one other part of man's purpose that's not explicitly taught in Genesis 1 and 2. But it's understood. And that is man is to love people. Uh, Jesus when he's saying, what is man's greatest obligation? They're to love God, but then he says they are to love their neighbor as they love each other. Continuing on in Mark 12, he says the second commandment is this, love your neighbor like you love yourself. And there's no commandment greater than these. God purposed us to give our lives for the good of others. And this is why Jesus was quick to add these words. 
So this is God's plan for our life. If you want to know why you're here, here it is. Hey, you, you are here to have a relationship with God, to love Him and worship Him, to work hard while you're here, and to enjoy the earth that God has given you. To love people and help others, that's why you're here. That's God's purpose for humanity. But quickly, if you read the Bible, we move from this idyllic existence in Genesis 1 and 2 to a much different picture as sin enters into the world. The man and the woman eat the forbidden fruit. And when sin enters into the world, it damages our ability to fulfill our purpose. Immediately, we see brother killing brother. Immediately, work, which is intended to bring meaning, is frustrating. Uh, uh, Immediately, childbirth becomes difficult, and, and, and raising families in the knowledge of the Lord becomes so complex. And men worship the creation instead of the Creator. And the worst part of our existence is our relationship with God is completely broken, so much so that we can no longer walk in the garden in perfect fellowship with with Him. So here's the picture of Genesis 1-3. through We had this deep need for meaning and purpose. Secular TV shows spend 30 minutes talking about this, this deep need for purpose. And God has given us this clear picture of what makes life meaningful, but the activities and the realities that make life meaningful are broken. If you enjoy this world, what God has given you, and a lot of you God has given a lot to. You might not think He has, but He's given you a lot. And you're enjoying this world, but before long somebody wants what you have. You enjoy your family. You should, what a blessing families are, but then we get old and they move off. And then death comes. Sin frustrates these things that are to give us so much meaning. You work hard and you build a name for yourself and you build a building and then somebody comes along and, and, and invents something a little bit better, does something a little more efficiently. And all the work that you've done to amass your whatever is knocked down. It's a frustrating existence. And if this is where the story would end, oh my goodness, how sad. But, through the redemption of Christ, we can live according to God's design. Oh, in this sinful world, there's still going to be problems. But when people let us down and there's friction between people, Christ can give us the ability to forgive and bring reconciliation into relationship. When when we work hard and other people don't recognize or other people try to destroy, we know that God rewards those things that were labored on His behalf And not all accounts are settled in November. We know that even if we we see our families move off or they pass away in Christ, we have the hope of living together forever in heaven. Even if relationship with God is broken and we feel helpless because of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us and we have eternal hope. 
And furthermore, when you're a follower of Jesus, you not only have meaning, you have significance. Not only do you have work to do and meaning while you're on this earth, you're not simply a speck in the vast universe. You are a child of God that he completely loves, and that is who you are, and that is why you're here. So that the creator of the universe can pour his love on you. Now, if you're here today, and you're a child of God, what I want you to take away from this message is that you are to live your life for God's glory and not your own. That will take a radical shift in some people because we have compartmentalized our faith to the point that God wants me to get saved and get baptized and then I'll live my own life and do whatever I want. That is so far from the message of the New Testament. Those who surrender their life to Christ and who he wraps his arms around, he expects them to lay their life down and to give their life in his service. And we're to glorify God then with all aspects of our life. You're to glorify God tomorrow morning at work. That's why you're there. You're to glorify God when you're out to eat with your family this afternoon. That's why God gave you that family. You're to glorify God in every aspect of your life. Now, if you're here and you're not a believer, or you're here and you don't know for certain if if you are a child of God saved by Jesus' blood, I want you to understand the pursuit of meaning will always frustrate until you completely surrender your lives to Jesus. This problem's not going away. Oh, you might figure it out for a day, a week, a month, but it will always resurface because only in Christ can we have a peace that passes understanding and a peace that endures. And I want you to know that if you will turn from your sin, trust in what Christ has done on the cross to redeem your brokenness, He will give you joy. He might not fix every broken thing in this lifetime, but He promises that those who trust Him will have a joy of knowing that one day it will be all right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. I thank you for Jesus, Lord. I thank you that God the Son came down to earth to dwell in human form and live a sinless life, yet only to be crucified. But I thank you that he did it for our sins. And I thank you, Lord, that he has risen from the dead. And today we celebrate victory. Because we know that because he has overcome the grave, we shall overcome this broken world. And Lord, I thank you that our meaning is found in him. And our purpose is found in him. And I pray, Father God, if there's anyone here who's not found their purpose and meaning in Christ, that today, today, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself. Lord God, I ask that you would help your people here at Porter to live on mission lives. 
help them to realize that their life is about is about you. And God, I pray that you would help them to believe that they will only have joy when they surrender from worldly pursuits and chase after you. Lord God, have your way in our midst, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.